RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 5, Episode 3. Letter from TV Guide, December 1st, 1965. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, all you Star Trek fans, background fans. Hey, all you Star Trek history buffs. Yes, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly. Most of all, of course. Love to see you. All of our lovely Trekophiles spelled with an F. Hey, we've got a bit of a departure in subject this week. Uh, still very much applicable to everything that we uh, hold near and dear about Star Trek. <laughs> and very much a Gene Roddenberry-esque topic this week. So listen, as always, if you haven't already, check out the documents over at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. And uh, take a listen to a sample. And then I'll be right back with this week's guest. The horror of the NAB code is that it exists at all. It reflects the attitudes of the Bible Belt, of the religious orthodoxies, the business community, the Madison Avenue people who historically have never been people with fresh, brave opinions. The code permits only the safest kind of opinion on the air. That's right, Trekophiles. We're going to be taking a look at um, some social topics this week. Now, I know that's that's nothing new to Star Trek if you've been paying attention. But uh, let's, let's travel back in time to the early 60s. Um, in between the two pilots being made, The Cage and Where No Man's Gone Before, but before Star Trek has actually been picked up for a series. Gene Roddenberry is sitting there being very, very busy producing a lot of pilots, and what's going on in the country is a big talk about, big discussion about television, the vast wasteland, violence, and, oh, I don't know, stop you if you heard this before. <laughs> In short, just about everything we've been talking about ever since media arose. And I know someone who's a fan of 60s television, <laughs> and as well as the broader social topics of the time, then and now. Uh, yes, of course, I've got to be talking about my good friend, friend of the show and producer of the show, John Champion. John, get hey. in here and talk to me about this. Oh, man. Isn't I, this you know, an interesting little letter? Yeah, I love it when we get a document that's, you know, only three pages long, but says so much about the person, mm -hmm. about the time, about what was going on. And it, it's kind of classic Gene Roddenberry, but we didn't know at the time that this is classic Gene Roddenberry. Right. This is all the stuff that we got to know as fans much, much later. Um, See, but, the guy didn't know it was classic Gene Roddenberry. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, because, as you pointed out, it's December 1965. Um, it's a letter from TV Guide to Gene saying, hey, we're working on this uh, film. Can we quote you or can you speak to these same issues that we had quoted you before back in September, talking about the NAB code, uh, pressure groups, et cetera. And um, these, these statements that he makes uh, just absolutely sound like the socially aware and concerned and uh, and a bit iconoclastic <laughs> Gene Roddenberry that we know, um, talking about censorship and uh, content of TV and being able to use TV mm -hmm. to explore deeper, more complex issues. 
But I think it's really important, like you just pointed out, that uh, the the time frame here is right after they film the cage, before Where No Man Has Gone, before gets picked up, before Star Trek gets picked up as a series, right, and it's after he has had his run-ins with the networks over the lieutenant. Right. And just to refresh, the lieutenant issue was, you know, here's this very above board. Uh, and, and this is also before, you know, the Vietnam anti-war peak has gotten anywhere, uh, gotten off the ground at all. Uh, it's just in the early days of that. Um, but an episode of Lieutenant, which starts off being made in full cooperation with, with the Department of Defense, the Marine Corps, about a fictitious, you know, Marine JAG uh, lawyer, basically on a fictitious base. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is basically Camp Pendleton, California, <laughs> where they shot, right. but it's a fictitious base. One of the episodes that lasted one season started off with great fanfare. And oh, here's some great, you know, Gene, the veteran uh, and police, former policeman, very much, you know, a great fit for this. Awarded writer and one time head writer on Have Gun Will Travel, right? A moralistic Western series with Paladin there. Right. Um, and he has one episode that tries to get into racial conflict between a black soldier and a white soldier and this simmering racial conflict between basically a racist uh, white Marine. Yeah. And the whole topic gets – they tell him not to do it. They film the show anyway. The, the network says they won't fund it. His studio says they won't fund that episode. And then at the end of the year, they don't get picked up again. And he's so pissed about it. It's one of the inciting incidents that leads him to say, well, I'll show them. I'll talk about adult themes and I'll, and I'll have purple people in rocket ships and laser guns do it for me. <laughs> right. So it will sneak it right by them. Right. So right. he's right hot out of that. Now he's, he's filmed his two pilots for Star Trek. He's just a year out of that. So right, this is all the pivotal time. And apparently TV Guide... I mean, people think of TV Guide as a fluff piece, but they did do, uh, you know, social issue, media and the population, whatever was a hot topic in media law and sociology. TV Guide would do, you know, articles about that that were serious. And apparently they'd been interviewing Gene and other producers. What's interesting to me is they're going to do a they're going to do a film. Now, it's a 1965 era film and it's not for the public. It's for uh, for industry and advertisers. Yeah, I I found that very interesting only because, you know, we look at TV Guide as, well, just what it is, what it was, which is just listings of TV shows. That's Mm -hmm. it. But here they are actually dipping their toes into the the advocacy and politics around TV and around the messages of TV. Um, I I was glad that... Mm-hmm. And the 40 years, I just said, the 40 years of go- the, the glory years of TV Guide, you had the listings, but there was a, which were local, but the wraparound, there were a lot of articles, but a lot of times there sure. were interviews with stars and, right, right. you know, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but here they are really uh, taking this thing head on. And what Gene's concern is the, the NAB code, National Association of Broadcasters, really this, um, you know, it, it was a set of rules that were voluntary. They had adopted for themselves mm-hmm. so that uh, they were trying to avoid government pressure of, you know, somebody coming in and saying, here's what you can and cannot do on TV. So it's sort of like the equivalent of the Hayes Code uh, from the ni- or starting right. in the 1930s right. uh, to regulate what kind of content goes in film. But, of course, then you introduce <laughs> this level of self-censorship and uh, this very ugly sort of unholy collision of the viewer and the broadcast network and the advertiser 
And then the mm-hmm. artists on the other end trying to all put something together that can go out to the masses. I really sympathize with Gene here. He's somebody who cares deeply about the content and the messages and the kinds of stories that he can tell. And he wants clearly to challenge. He wants clearly to get across ideas that are important to him. But at the same time, how do you do that? You've got three networks at the time. They're all answering to the advertisers who are paying the bill for what they do and then broadcasting to millions of Americans who are coming at this from all walks of life, social, political spectrum, religious uh, uh, spectrum. There really is no good way to do this. I kind of wish, I definitely wish that Gene had lived to see where we are now, Mm -hmm. where for better or for worse, you've got hundreds of channels. (laughs) You've got uh, actually a rating system in place that says, hey, this show contains this kind of material, so stay away or check it out if this is for you. And um, because there's a lot of paid cable and internet delivery systems, you've really opened up the floodgates on what you can show and what you can talk about. Now, maybe the downside of that then is that people are just finding the shows that speak to them. So there's not a lot of exposure right. to challenging ideas uh, that you may have had the opportunity to get across, uh, oh, like back in the 60s when Star Trek came on the air. <laughs> well, right. We've gone from the three-channel world plus PBS mm-hmm. um, to, to the thousand-channel world and broadcasting and narrowcasting. But you know, what's funny is he talks about the NAB code some of these responses. And I, I have this vague recollection of hearing like local stations would say, you know, this station is a, is a participant in the, the national association of broadcasters code of good conduct or good, a code of good, good ethics. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like the, it was like the good housekeeping seal of approval or something for, right, for right. broadcasters. And on the surface, it's like, okay, well fine. Yeah. But when you think about the puritanical, uh, I was just looking at this summary. So it produced, it prohibited the use of profanity. So George mm-hmm. Carlin wouldn't like it. Um, <laughs> but here it prohibited the use of profanity, the negative portrayal of family life, irreverence yeah. for God and religion, illicit sex, drunkenness, and biochemical addiction. Yeah. Presentations of cruelty, detailed techniques of crime, the use of horror for its own sake, and the negative portrayal of enforcement officials, among others. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's all, yeah, it's like the Hayes Code, only for, uh, oh, there had been a, very, a radio code that came to TV. But Yeah, yeah, very closely parallels the, the You wonder Hayes why code. there was yeah. so much pablum in, and, you know, sitcoms are a safer bet, too, but even drama. Apparently, right. The Untouchables, here's a Desilu link, The Untouchables, when it came out in 1959, caused a huge furor over, over uh, television violence, one of the first uh, ones, I guess. They'd been one in the earlier 50s with early yeah. TV, and then 10 years go by now. The NAB had also jumped in and helped to uh, had something to say during the big quiz show scandals, which is a different issue. Right, right. But the the Untouchables, you know, the gangster land, the Chicago land, and uh, reflections on Italian American stereotypes. There was all this furor in the early '60s about TV violence, and then came the JFK assassination. Yeah, and there was all this new self-examination about his violence on TV affecting the kids and affecting people and how we're growing up and. And that was the first time people started to become self-aware. So this Senator Dodd that he references here was Senator Christopher Dodd, Dodd Frank Bill. Mm-hmm. That's his father, who on one hand was the second, was the number two attorney at the Nuremberg trials. Wow. The American team. Wow. So 
He's got this under uh, Supreme Court Justice Jackson. So he's got this stately pl- – well, he winds up turning that into a, his own senator run. So he serves two terms. He's from Connecticut. Sadly, it sounds as if his overall career went from that initial high to a little campaign con- uh, fund uh, scandal. He didn't, he didn't get reelected and nominated, and his term ended in 1970. But in the 60s, yeah. these hearings that Gene is upset about apparently – Caused a lot of flack, not the first wave, but in the second wave, which may have been done right before one of his reelections. So on one hand, there's a political thing going on here, but uh, but there is an American even before, much less after the assassination wave of the '60s set in. Yeah, when I was a kid, I right. remember the whole the, the the effect on Saturday morning TV after the '68 assassination. Everything, yeah, we got Scooby Doo. Oh, look, it's a bunch. It's not superheroes. It's kids solving crimes, and some of them have a band. You know, <laughs> right, right. the Pussycats and all that. Yeah. But what well, uh, Gene's you- reacting to here is that wave coming out, and he's criticizing. Apparently, the Dodd hearings wound up being more sound than fury, but they got a lot of headlines and attention, and it was a way for people to pile on and complain about what TV was doing. And Gene's kind of lumped all that in with, look at all the pressure groups. Yeah. You know, the different religions, all the puritanical people, the advertisers. And, you know, we famously hear him all the time say, well, television is really not here to give you entertainment and drama and thought-provoking content. It's here to sell you toothpaste. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the problem is you, you have dedicated artists and people with something to say, like Gene and like a lot of writers and producers of the time and now, who then uh, butt heads with the, uh, the ugly reality of the business of television and, and getting this out there. And the landscape is very different now than it was then, but uh, that, that conflict still exists. There's no question about it. What I find so interesting here is that, and you said at the top of the show that, you know, this period of kind of mid-60s pop culture and TV, this is something near and dear to me. Um, I, I think this is such a, an interesting time where, and you really, you kind of framed it, you know, we're talking about after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, before the assassination of Robert Kennedy. You're talking about before... Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King, yeah. And you're talking about before uh, uh, Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act, and you, you've got uh, the, the bubbling up of the Vietnam War coming into people's homes, and, and they're growing unrest mm-hmm. around that. You have the sexual revolution playing out underneath all of this. So this is a, a very volatile time. It's a very right. complex time. And, of course, these people who are writing popular culture and entertainment are absorbing all of this and waving their hands saying, we have to say something about this. We have to be a part of this conversation. But yet here's TV essentially doing the same old, same old, doing this sort of very um, uh, family-friendly kind of dry entertainment that is a product of, you know, that post-war and into the 50s structure that they had. Right. So um, Gene, very much a person of the time here saying, we have to talk about what's happening in the world. We have to talk about what is important, not just put on mindless pablum to sell soap. Right. And and when you think about Gene and probably a trio, a trio, a quartet, whatever, of all Mm -hmm. these producers that were, were interviewed, I'm sure, they're trying, TV's only been around for, you know, 15 years by this time. 
Yeah, yeah, in, in any substantial, yeah, in a substantial yeah. way, right, right, and so it's very much in the baby stages and its growth here. And if yeah. you look at all, if and they're trying to elevate it a little bit. They're trying. If you go right. back and look at early movies, we were talking about the Hayes Code in the '30s, but the 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 silent movies trying to you know fight for themselves. They weren't just a carnival attract. You know the Nickelodeons. Yeah, I mean the real Nickelodeon's kids, not the channel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know the Peep Show, yeah. basically. They yeah. were, you know, the the just like the director, producers, writers in the teens and twenties were trying to elevate cinema above just a sideshow attraction, and yeah. and your budding heads trying to be and and there's a lot of people selling, you know, making bucks off just being, uh, you know, <laughs> a Peep Show. Yeah. I mean, you've got all that in play, but there are serious people trying to elevate the form. Radio is the same way. Early TV. I mean, all of these media in their in their baby infant stages are fighting for respectability, but they've got to have people be respectable. And there's always a pushback. You basically got the old art versus uh, sensibility. And there's a yeah. you know, if you're on the cutting edge, you're pushing the boundaries. You're trying to put you know push the envelope here. And this is the kind of reaction you get. And that's what I said. TV's only been a force since the late '40s here. So. 15 to 20 years they've been at this. Well, and, 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 it, and, and it did evolve. You know, we look at now at the highlights of, of TV, but there was put, this is the early stages of the pushback and trying to say, no, the whole world does not need. And as much as we love uh, Beave and, and Wally, <laughs> the whole world is not leave it to Beaver. And even on the one hour dramas, they're talking about things being, you know, vapid. Yeah. Um, it's cool that we talk about, you know, the, the Westerns and they were a safe medium and occasionally had a breakout like, like uh, Have Gun, Will Travel and mm-hmm. Paladin, like Gene worked on. Or even, you know, we think of O Bonanza and the formula or, or um, um, Gunsmoke and the formula. But there, were, there was a lot of mature storytelling done through those media, but there was a lot of schlock and drivel. And we look at class or Perry Mason or something, which was not a Western, but we think about the classics from this time, just like. People look at original Star Trek now, and and they think, oh, look how dated it is. And what you, it's it's not, or else it wouldn't have been a classic. Right. But the real test is to go back and look at the competition that these shows all had, these series had, and the drivel is what's fallen away, and the exactly. drivel is what Gene is worried here about taking over, and no one being able to push that envelope. Right. And if this sounds dated, it, I mean, we're we're still in these. These battles, having a thousand channels helps. <laughs> it does, yeah. And, and having ratings and having ways to limit access. Right. I mean, the, there is this small, small part of me that is sympathetic to the network thinking, okay, look, we've got a piece of furniture in people's living rooms. <laughs> we don't know exactly who's watching and when, though they try through rating systems, et cetera, to figure out what works and what will sell the most soap. Uh, but they can only push the envelope so much before there's a pushback and, you know, somebody in whatever state they're in coming at this from whatever set of beliefs they have just saying, nope, can't take this anymore. I'm not watching your station at all. In fact, I'm just going to get rid of the TV altogether. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, we're, we're better off when we have ways to be able to sort of uh, uh, control and uh filter and choose what it is that we want to watch. But at the same time, we also limit ourselves to new and interesting ideas that we may not have expected. So, um, yeah, the, there's not a single right answer to any of this stuff, 
but obviously my sympathies lie for the most part with what Gene is saying here, which is we, we have to do better. We have to take these things head on and we can't just sit here and, and crank out nonsense because it placates what a senator somewhere wants. Well, it's what he's talking about is the is what's safe. It's the lowest common yeah. denominator. And here's another slice of this. Look at his quote. Um, I number among these rights the right to an interchange of the diverse attitudes and ideas that make up our nation. Another slice of this. We talk about uh, speech and and um, and you know spirituality and and our mm-hmm. orthodoxy and advertisers. How about just representation? Yeah, it wasn't until right. the the civil rights movement had seeped into the consciousness, and there'd been a, you know, relevant. I remember when I was a kid, relevancy was. It's why Room Two Twenty Two came. It's why you know Bill, I said Bill Cosby, but that was shaking, mm-hmm. uh, ground shaking at the time. On I Spy as a co lead, and Julia with, I mean, the actually seeing people of color in TV was radical. Yeah. Whoopi saying, "Look, Mama, there's a woman on TV, and she ain't no maid." Yeah, you know, talking about Nichelle and Uhura was very prescient and he's saying diverse attitudes if these pressure groups are all Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word white people just just as a representation who's showing up as another factor of opening up ideas and considering other cultures you know outside of white mainstream america that's running madison avenue and most of the religious orthodoxies and yeah down the line well thank goodness power structure Thank, thank goodness Gene's little sci-fi show got off the ground. So he <laughs> Again, December 1965, yeah. yeah. Just, just yeah. on the eve of the revolution, that's yeah. what it was. Hey. Yeah. Well, John, I, you know, this is, um, I saw this, and it's a, it's a little bit different slice of what we have here, but then that's what the Trek Files is all about, is finding these, uh, you know, here's an insight into Gene pre-Star Trek, pre-Guru oh. Gene. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you you chose well. Trek. This one speaks to me. <laughs> I thought it was Mr. Man from Real quick, did the man from Uncle ever suffer any, uh, or was it too uh, stylized James Bondian? Not really. You know, there, there was a little bit of pushback about violence, and the only things that they did to accommodate uh, where they said, okay, well, instead of bullets, we will have these, you know, like stun sleep darts in the Uncle special. Uh, and then by the time the show went on longer and longer, um, the, it, it got a little sillier, a little, a little right. more campy, and then they, they tried to pull that back a little bit. Yeah, right. I, you know, I, I think what's really interesting is at the time, you, you know, yes, you had popular entertainment like The Man from Uncle and obviously Bonanza, but then you had other shows that came along really trying to push the envelope, and you give it a couple more years, and you've got Laugh-In on the air, which mm-hmm. is, you know, holding up its finger, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the flying fickle finger of fate, yeah. uh, right to the powers that be, and and speaking truth to power. Um, Smothers Brothers, and... Uh, mother, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the guise of comedy variety, yeah. So, so it's there, and thank goodness that we have those creators who were trying to be subversive um, at a time when all of this is bubbling up in the pop culture, but then the dominant media culture really weren't taking it on. So good for them. We always need those iconoclastic creators to do that. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to push that envelope and take yep. the fall for it and uh, and uh, create a little thing called a 54-year franchise that never existed yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. John, thanks again for joining me here in, um, in Bunker Buddy Times. Yeah, uh, we'll thank you. S- thanks a lot. 
The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at larrynemichek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.